Support this podcast and keep us going. Go to everydaynovelist.com slash support to join up. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 892. Today, Roland asks... Could you address how some dialogue is good and other dialogue bad? It seems like a matter of taste, not good or bad. You mentioned Sorkin and Whedon as bad examples of dialogue, but then you say the Coen brothers are good, but they have the most artificial and fake dialogue in film. No one talks like that, so why are they good and Whedon and Sorkin bad? Don't get me wrong, I love the Coen brothers and like Joss Whedon's shows and bantery dialogue. Both are artificial. On the other hand, I do not like Sorkin or Tarantino dialogue. They are bad. <laughs> oh, them's fighting words. Okay, so it, it depends on what criteria you're laying out. Um, there's two major schools of thought that have done battle through the 20th century on this. The first is that dialogue should be naturalistic, should be invisible. Uh, I don't subscribe to that school, but if that is a major consideration for you, none of the writers that I mentioned should, uh, make your list of great dialogue. You want to look more to people, God, like James Joyce. Um, you want to look to people who uh, have done uh, the high literary stuff in the 20th century for that. The other is, does dialogue reveal the character in the world? And that's why I picked the Coen brothers and Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. Whedon is uh, someone I would call good but lazy. He's much more interested in his dialogue being hip and quotable than he is in his dialogue revealing character and doing the heavy lifting of the storytelling. Sorkin is... Ugh, I hate Sorkin. Yeah, and, and I hate it more because I've seen a few examples of what I would consider amazing work from him. So I know he's capable of it. But um, Sorkin writes... Uh, Sorkin's very much in a neither-nor. He's not really hip, although he's very self-congratulatory in the way he writes. He's not revealing character. He uses dialogue as exposition um, and very, very little else. Um, if you like expository dialogue, he would be one to look at because he does manage to lay down a lot of exposition very, very quickly. But he does it at the expense, in my opinion, of character and milieu and all the other stuff that dialogue ought to be revealing. There's, in terms of what makes dialogue good versus bad, if you're looking at it as an audience, you're going to have a different set of criteria than if you're looking at it as an artist. Audiences can and do enjoy spectacularly bad dialogue. 
And they can and do slide off sometimes very good dialogue, though I would consider that a mark against the quality of the dialogue if the audience slides off it. Not everyone's going to like every way that people stylize, but dialogue is a stylized medium, and it always has been. All Going all the way back to Sophocles, dialogue in fiction and theater is highly stylized. The 20th century naturalism movement was a rebellion against the stylization of dialogue, but whether you're going for naturalism or for stylization, the key... The key quality that I look for in determining what makes good or bad dialogue is verisimilitude. When I'm hearing this character speak, do I believe it's this character? Am I seduced into suspending my disbelief, into wanting to suspend my disbelief by the way this person talks? Does the way this person speak enhance the illusion that the story that I'm engaged in is true? That I'm watching real things? Now, of course, because it's stylized, because it's fiction, it's never going to feel natural. In fact, the way that people normally talk is deadly boring. And uh, it there's a reason that good conversationalists have high social capital, because good conversation is a very, very difficult art to learn. Verbal communication is not something most people are good at, to the point where rhetoric used to be one of the major art forms that people were taught in school, so people could learn to speak properly. And by properly, I don't mean in accordance with the standards of the day, although a lot of that did go on too. I mean properly as in effectively. Could they persuade? Could they hold an audience? Could they tell a good story? And so when I talk about good dialogue versus bad dialogue, that's a lot of what I'm looking for. Sorkin and Whedon I put in the bad camp, despite the fact that they are occasionally geniuses, and Whedon more often than Sorkin, um, because the primary function of their dialogue is, for lack of a better term, is to serve as a set of in-jokes. It's to wink at the audience. And they don't often write stories where winking at the audience actually enhances the verisimilitude. Sometimes they do, like, uh, what, uh... Buffy? Mm, a little bit with Buffy. I was thinking of the Captain Hammer thing. Uh, Dr. Oh. Horrible's sing-along blog. That kind of thing is supposed to wink at the audience. That's the point. And there it really, really works. So it's about the match of the style with the story. Anyway, those are the criteria I use. And taste, like you said, taste does come into it. But when you're wanting to learn from an artist as an artist, as opposed to when you're looking for who entertains you. You want to try to figure out how to judge the strengths and weaknesses of the art that you are studying, so that you can have an idea of what to take away from it. Not just what will work for you, though that's a consideration, but also what's worth paying attention to. Is, is that your way of saying you need to look beyond your own taste? Yeah, you need to look beyond your own taste. And I have learned a great deal from watching Sorkin and Whedon as well. I just have also learned a lot of what not to do. The strength of Sorkin's dialogue is exposition. 
He's very good at info dumping in dialogue and making it look like he's not info dumping, or at least making you not care that he's info dumping. The strength of Whedon's dialogue is that it makes the audience feel included. The strength of Tarantino's dialogue is that it relentlessly reveals character. The strength of uh, David Mamet's dialogue is that he balances all of these things very, very well, except for making the audience feel included. He doesn't seem to care about the audience feeling included. What he wants to do is create a world they can step into. And that is the great strength of Mamet's dialogue, is, is the way that he creates conflict that you cannot help but be sucked into. All of these writers have their weaknesses. I talked about Sorkin's and, uh, and oh, and the Coen brothers, of course. They just, they, they do amazing world building with their dialogue. They're uh, very, very devoted to the odd stylizations they pick, and it creates a strange kaleidoscopic tapestry that for their fans, is irresistible. Something I've noticed about uh, Coen Brothers' works is that all of them feel like they are uniquely of their place mm-hmm. and time. The Big Lebowski could not be set anywhere other than, than where it is. Than in L.A. in the early 90s. Yep. Right. And um, Fargo was Coen Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. If, if Fargo is unique in its time and place and subculture, and it could not take place anywhere else. Yeah. The characters could not exist anywhere else. I mean, there's a lot about those characters that are yeah, common to... Localization. That's the strength of the Coen brothers. Yeah. Thanks. That's the word I was looking for. Now, the weakness of my favorites here, Tarantino's weakness, is that he's unrelentingly vulgar and he loses audience members that way. He's very, very harsh. And uh, unrelentingly vulgar, and it turns people off. Mamet's weakness is that his dialogue is often very cold. It it engages the uh, the cynical and the avaricious so effectively that it can be off-putting. He, you can't resist being sucked into the lives of these characters, but you're not sure you want to be. There's not a lot of warmth on offer in Mammoth, with some occasional exceptions, for example, in The Untouchables. That was an uncharacteristically warm Mammoth script. And the weakness of the Coen brothers is that they are so localized that they are ultra-quirky, and the ultra-quirkiness can be off-putting to people who aren't willing to be taken that far out of their comfort zone. So, uh, yeah. For I think I want to have a great uh, concluding thought here, but I think I've said everything that is on my mind as well as I can say it. All right. So, uh, thank you very much for the question, Roland, and please forgive my lack of rhetorical flourish. And uh, thank you for the pushback. We'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners.
Join the conversation, submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat, or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.